Hi, and welcome to the Better Athlete Podcast. I'm James McDowell. And I'm Fargo Wayne. Are you an athlete looking to take your sport and performance to the next level? Well, this podcast could be the key ingredient. Hosted by James and myself, we delve into the subjects that affect whether or not you reach your performance potential. Between ourselves, we'll be guiding you through strength, mobility, nutrition, mental training, and more with experts in the field. Athletes and coaches from every corner of the sporting spectrum will also be giving insight, knowledge, and understanding of what it takes. So like, share, and review, and let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the Better Athlete podcast. Today, we're joined by pain movement specialist, David McGettick. And David, how are you? I'm well, thank you. And yourselves, lads? Very good, very good. I'm also joined, as always, by... Mr. Mr. James McDowell, how are you, James? Not so bad. I'm excited for this one. Good, good. So we'll get we'll get stuck into things. Um, David, we'll give you your quick fire round first. Okay. Okay. Um, Adidas or Nike? <laughs> I currently wear to clinic a Nike top and Adidas bottom, so you're gonna. Have to <laughs> you're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst okay. thing you could have said. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, we'll go with that. We'll take that. Um, uh, favorite TV show? Ooh. Oh, God. Do you go I by know. genre? You... <laughs> um, what did I do? I... Do you know what? I love Game of Thrones until the last season. I know. I love a good, like, war crime thriller. Um, but Jesus, what's the name of that one? AC12, what the hell do you call them? The, oh, Line of Duty, very line. good. That's yeah, the one. yeah. That's the one. Okay. Very good. Nice, nice. Um, okay, favorite exercise? Um, favorite exercise? I would probably say pull ups. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> They would be like my my least <laughs> exercise. There we go. Okay, favorite favorite workout tune. I am an awful man for putting on really heavy metal and just trying to pretending to become a beast in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Hard and heavy. I like yeah, that. That's it. I like that. You can't go wrong with that. Okay, last one. Messi or Ronaldo. Ah, Ronaldo, all day. Oh, okay. yeah. I look yeah. at I respect Messi. Messi is probably the best, most naturally gifted player. I think Ronaldo's obviously very talented, but he's turned himself into something phenomenal and is still yeah. across all leagues, etc. So I, I think I think everyone's going down that route where they used to be Messi and now they're Ronaldo. Like we've, you know, I think you're the third or fourth person has said that, and only one person has picked Messi, but that was someone who didn't really actually like football. So <laughs> if you went back, maybe I'm sorry, that's something on my end. If you went back maybe five years before all this craziness in Barcelona started, and people would probably be choosing Messi as well. But again, Ronaldo from across so many different leagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a United fan, so yeah. Because I think I think uh, I think I picked Messi, but I I was kind of going with that. What you said, David, I was kind of going that kind of naturally gifted. But every time you see Ronaldo, as you said, he just seems to like be able to turn him. He's just turned himself into this absolute machine. It's crazy, like. 
Yeah, like it's unbelievable. Um, okay, brilliant stuff. Um, so I suppose my first, so my first question, David, is just how did you get into the industry? How did you get into, we'll yeah. say, becoming a pain and movement specialist? Okay, so for me, first off, um, I didn't, I'm like anyone who's probably, like 90% of the people who are 16, 17, 18 in Ireland hadn't a clue what I wanted to do. Um, coming up to leaving I hadn't a Scooby-Doo. So I decided physio was what I'd do. Shadowed a couple of physios and looked like a fairly uh, straightforward thing to do. So I thought, let's do that. Both my parents were helpers. Um, they'd, they'd often be the people that would be getting calls at night and you know, people in the community would be looking for help from them. One was a nurse, one was a, a Garda. So uh, I'd seen them help people throughout um, my life growing up. So I thought, I want to help people. And physio looks like a good way to do it. Fast forward to the leaving cert and I was a lazy frigger. So I didn't bother my ass studying hard enough to get the points to do physiotherapy. It was 540 or 50 points or something at that stage. Um, so I decided I would go to Carlo to do um, applied physiology and health science. And between kind of, I suppose, early, even earlier than that, I'd had injuries and stuff like that as well. So I kind of ended up in a space where I had a lot of pain myself, had hip pain and back pain and all these bits and pieces. And I ended up going down the road of studying the thing that I probably on some level wanted to get answers for myself. But also there was this big kind of drive to help people as well. So studied my applied physiology and health science, um, didn't make it into the, uh, the add-on two years, because again, lazy, um, <laughs> and then decided I would go to England, to the UK, and study sports rehabilitation instead of physiotherapy, um, which probably 80, 90% of the people that I was studying with thought it was crazy to not do physiotherapy because there was a kind of straight career path in front of you afterwards. Yes. Um, but I had done more shadowing and more kind of research myself into physio and I really didn't enjoy the neuro stuff, which is ironic. Um, I really didn't enjoy the uh, respiratory stuff um, it, in the hospital-based physio and I hadn't really seen too much of the MSK type stuff. So I hadn't really seen too much of the private practice. And what I did see of the MSK in, physio, in hospital, unfortunately, was um, hand out some sheets, do some stretches, get some ultrasound um, and that's you, off you go. And we'll see you again next week sort of thing so i kind of had had that treatment myself knew that it didn't really do too much for me and decided i would go down towards rehab because it was going to be towards you know working with athletes or so i thought um it was going to be towards you know teams and pitch side stuff which was where my interest was at the time and yeah went on did my degree didn't really have the most fulfilling of placements so my confidence in myself whenever I came out was quite low um I tried to quit the career after about six months <laughs> right okay um because I well not only did I have I suppose lower confidence in my own skills at the time um but you know as, as I'm sure you guys know when you come out of a degree you're taught absolutely nothing about how to run a business or how to 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 create a client base or to you know attract business or whatever so yeah I had six or eight months of feeling sorry for myself and then I basically got really good advice from my parents and they said get off your ass and start doing something differently because you're sitting there kind of wallowing and not trying so uh, yes. kind of made a resolution to myself that I was going to become the best therapist I could be and if I did that I would be all right and that's basically 
what's led me down the road of you know, taking different courses, reading um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books on humans and psychology and behavior and language and communication and all sorts. Um, and then, you know, just been lucky enough to, to be, to have got results with people. So, you know, started attracting harder and harder cases or harder and harder clients to help. And, you know, over the time I've developed skills to be able to help a lot of them. So that's where it's come from. It's taken 10 years. So it's been a pretty awesome journey so far. The journey is ongoing. Absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so 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 like that when we're talking about treatment and everything like that, um, and you were talking about certain areas and aspects of things that weren't for you, we'll say, and you didn't really feel like that. You you were, I suppose, they were they were maybe good treatments, or you felt there was a, maybe a better way to go about it, or there could be better answers or better ways of finding out, better ways to help people. Um, was that like a is that like a journey for you yourself? Did you go about finding those things yourself through upskilling all the time with courses and, and reading or did you, we'll say taking, or did you have a coach or did you, was it kind of all? Um, yeah. So I, I did it the hard way the, when I, I suppose now, if you look in the, in, in the industry at large, there are plenty of people who can kind of signpost you in the right direction. There's plenty of training programs and mentorships and stuff like that. Um, I, when did I, when did I graduate? It was a decade ago, 2010. So 2010, there was a lot less of that there was a lot less on the internet and stuff like that. So, um, my kind of journey, I suppose, was first of all, born out of frustration myself because I had had so many injuries and was in a lot of pain every day. I was really afraid of my body, to be fair. Had a very, had no awareness of it. Um, and then when I started to work in 2010, it was, I kind of thought I had four tools, which was stretch it, strengthen it, release it, manipulate it, and kind of... Um, you know, just give people a, a home exercise program. So there wasn't really kind of um, a lot of thought needed. It was worth the sight of pain, go work on it and hope for the best, give them some stuff to do and ho hopefully it will help. And I mean, for someone who had a drive to help people, that frustrated the life out of me because people, nothing nothing on, on the clients. I was doing what I could and the clients are coming back and sometimes they say that was brilliant. I don't really even need to come back. I was like, sweet, brilliant. Like, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. There was other clients who, who were still in the same pain or maybe the, the pain came back or the, the problems came back within a day or two, within a couple of weeks, within a month, whatever it was. And when they came back, I would say, okay, where's your pain? Same place. Okay, let's do the same thing again because that's what I've been taught. You know, you're taught to work on a back through working on the back. You're taught to work yes. on do this and do this and do this. And there's like a little... Um, sequence or a little cookie cutter approach and frustration was because I didn't understand what was influencing things was it my treatment was it um, the pressure I used with my hands was it the exercises weren't right for them how do I know what is a good exercise you know I had loads of questions um, and I didn't really understand where I was even going to look for for the answers so um, I suppose it took a few years to start sorting that stuff out for myself I even like I mean I would say I'm still sorting it out but to even start getting on that track um and a, a big light bulb for me was whenever I realized that the 
brain is the thing that we need to influence. If we don't influence what your nervous system is perceiving, um, then we're probably not going to make change and maybe at all or for the long term. So that was a massive light bulb for me. And that led me to think, well, what can I do to influence somebody's nervous system? What influences a nervous system? And that opens up just almost endless pathways from environment to psychology to the feedback it's getting from the body to movement to belief systems to all that stuff. So it opened up just a massive, massive topic. And that was nearly like, okay, now I now I have some learning to do. Now I have to start <laughs> really taking this seriously because there's so much to cover here. And I'm probably never going to get through it all. I, actually, I will not get through it all. I can be damn sure that I'll give it a good, good shot though, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that, that, I suppose that kind of ties into something maybe that I was going to put to you was like, it, it obviously is so it's so uh, in tune with our brain and how our brain perceives things. But something that I've always wondered about um, in terms of rehab and physio work and all the rest is how important is it the language that we use for, for like physio type uh, work? Like when you hear terms like corrective exercise um, or this exercise will fix you or uh you're out of alignment how important is that and do you think that that can nearly cause kind of i suppose what you call like an like a placebo but like a negative placebo effect placebo yeah for sure um for me how about this the way that i see this happening so if i tell you it's a corrective exercise or i give you an explanation my explanation can become the set of lenses or the frame that you look at the world through and in a position of being the person that you're coming to help for, the more you trust me, the more you take on what I say, more likely, or you're more likely anyway to take on what I say. Sometimes what I say is going to completely contradict what you have believed before. And that for me is a, is a place sometimes we get a lot of change for people. But again, how I explain things, the words that I use, like the words are triggering off reflexes in somebody's brain. The words are literally connections. So the only reason you know what yellow is, is because over the course of your life, yellow has been there and you've associated and yellow, 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 yellow. Now you've got yellow. Everybody who's listening has got yellow in their brain. Sorry. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So if I, if my words are doing that, I have to, I suppose in the back of my head, what I'm always trying to do is to read the person in front of me and I'm watching if my communication is, I suppose we can never know fully if it's going to land the way we want it to, but I, I always have the intention of giving it to them in such a way that it's going to connect with them, obviously, and that their system is not going to be starting to perceive it as, as uh, you must do this because of that. Um, it's not going to land with fear. It's not going to land with increased anxiety or worry or doubt. I'm always trying to do my best to promote a positive message for people. I mean, one of my mates actually calls me Paul the positive prick. You know, my name's not Paul because <laughs> of things I can be so positive for people and again i suppose i don't even want it to be positive i want to be realistic It'd be better to put it um so for me words are so important I, i've read, read loads and loads of books on it because the uh the way that we say things um and the way that people say things if we can match the language style that a person uses they're going to understand what we say much more easily and that's something that i've i'm still working on obviously but it, it, I've, I've kind of put a bit of time into um so for me, it's, it's really important that your, your explanations are going to 
they're going to be the frame of reference that that person's nervous system might use going forwards. And that's really important, you know? And that's, that's obviously like, it's hard because each, each individual is exactly that. They're an individual. So each person that walks through the door throughout your day is a, it's a fresh, it's you start from scratch again and you're, you're trying to analyze. Did you find like, I suppose, or do you still at times find it hard like, is there, I know we've talked about, or, or I've seen you talk about, you know, using principles. So I've seen like recently your, where you had your, I love your board because every day it's, it's different because either yeah. you have like, you have, so, you have some brilliant way of de- describing things. And I've watched so many of your videos where I'm just like, geez, that makes so much more sense when it's actually laid out in front of you and you can see it. But I suppose, do you have a set, do you have like a set of principles that kind of, are there or thereabouts with each client that you see yeah i I do um i think one of them is and i'll start with this one is to be flexible in your approach because for example my my highest principle for someone like would might maybe be that they take ownership again that they're moved from being in a place of i get treated and get fixed to i'm now in control and i'm getting guided and getting helped but I can, you know, do this myself. So I'm putting, I want to put them back into that place if I can. Um, but again, some people are just not at that place on their journey. Um, and being flexible means that you can still help them without kind of breaking that, that kind of trust and that rapport that you build up with them. So that's definitely one of them. Um, a second one would be to, supposed to use the, the technical language to promote autonomy to, um, <laughs> to, to, to help them to get it back in control with, with and to give them things that they can do strategies that they can rely on to um to overcome their symptoms long term or to at least know what to do if they do have symptoms um the third one probably uh, educate people um I, I said it to a guy in clinic uh, last week i think it was a week before um part of what i see my role um, as in helping people is to help them scrape the weeds off the path um so so many people that i meet are much more afraid of their body um are believing so many things that have been um maybe been told to them down the lines or they've picked up along the lines it certainly hasn't been there since birth they've learned these things somewhere along the line um that increase the fear and worry and doubt and increase the the need for protection and increase the I suppose all those kind of fight or flight responses so if we can help take away the stuff that is not or in my opinion shouldn't be affecting them in a negative way if we can change that around you basically can peel back the path and they can see how you can make progress that's kind of how I, how I like to think about it um you know we can go down the rabbit hole here all this stuff about that that, that is something that I was actually looking to pick your brain on was do you think that like past experiences can create pain like that it mightn't be a physiological thing or a mechanical thing as such but it it's a past experience that that person has gone through whether that's a past trauma or a past yeah. injury can that can the brain kind of associate um with that past experience to create pain um I don't think the past experience creates pain. Um, I think it is a ma- can potentially be a big, big reference point for that person's nervous system. If you have a really, really negative experience um, today, 
and you end up seriously injured because of it, let's say, um, the next time your system recognizes something like that again, from a biological survival standpoint, it makes perfect sense for your nervous system to, to register that as, hold on a minute, we might have to be careful here. Remember the last time. And it's it's actually, it's probably the memory of that thing. That's It's, it's a reference point. It's a big influence potentially um, on what that person might experience today. And I do think you can lessen the impact of that. And I think for me, another one of the principles to go back to Fergal's question a second ago is awareness. Um, I know, and maybe I'm wrong in saying this, I know in my journey to overcome symptoms, awareness was probably the biggest thing that's helped me shift, you know, towards being fit and healthy and pain-free, basically, because the more I learned about how my system worked, the more I learned about what influenced me, the more I could actually have a bit of ownership again, a bit of control over it and a bit of kind of an ability to influence it instead of being influenced by it. So I think memory previous experiences are really strong references um, and of course, that's that's where the, the beauty of, of working in this industry comes because every single story, every single life is so different. You know, there's yeah. so many potentially um, influential reference points going on in someone's past um, that it's 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 really interesting to work in, you know. And like that, when you were saying even earlier there, David, when we we're talking about um, the journey, you know, everybody's individual journey. And I suppose that's, you know, like, as we said, like each, each person is different when they come in and everybody's at a different point in their journey of where they are or with their pain or whatever it might be that they've got. And do, do you see, I suppose, with that, do you see many misconceptions about pain? Like we'll say that people have this idea like I was talking to somebody the other day and it was I do always think that when you're talking to clients and that they generally come up with some of the best questions ever because generally I do often get a question I'm like I actually don't know you know like I, I that's it I just be honest but you know like a guy asked me the other day when he was talking about pain and he said, well, how come pain is, is, is so different for everybody? You know, he was like, you can push your body to its limits in whatever it might be, an endurance race or whatever, and you can have pain, but no injury might be present at all in the body, but still you're going through something that's painful. And then you can have somebody who has an injury and it's painful. And he's like, we were just talking about the differences in pain. So I suppose what I'm trying to get at is that what are the misconceptions of, of things that you see about pain most frequently, I suppose. Um, good question. Um, I think the number one, um, you probably have heard me see it, say it on social media and stuff. The number one that I see causing people the biggest problems um, is that pain is equal to tissue injury. Um, so, if you are, and a lot of people might have heard this, but on the on the unconscious level or below the surface, they're still equating those things. So when you have pain, you've injured yourself, and you have to you have to be careful. That's the kind of message that's really firmly embedded. It seems in in the vast majority of people. I mean, I, I work with people who have long term symptoms, um, who have pain that's not going away. I've been on that merry go round of going to different therapists and different types of treatment, and a lot of them end up at my clinic with not a lot of hope um, and really frustrated and, you know, can almost at times consigned to living with this. Um, 
one of the things and I do with pretty much every client is I take them through a little model of how I see things happen, how their system works. And that pain equals damage for me sits firmly within the processing side of things. It's one of those big belief systems or like those previous experiences, they're another part. It's one of those big reference points that your system can use or will check in with every time you experience pain. Now, for me, pain is actually the number one protective element that your system can, can use. It's your brain's quickest, probably most efficient way of getting your attention to say, hold on a minute, I don't feel safe, let's change our behavior. Um, now, if that's the case, and your belief is that pain equals damage, every time you experience pain, you're equating it with injury, so your system's perceiving more reason to protect you, more threat, more reason to protect you, and creating more pain, more protection as that protection, which is then perceived as damage, which is then off you go, you're on the cycle. And if that's happening unconsciously for someone, if they've never heard that that can be how it could happen, for example, mm -hmm. um, or how it could partly happen, then that might be sitting there in the background running all the time. And that is going to, in my opinion, is going to make a pretty big dent in your hopes of trying to overcome pain. Um, it's going to make it much, much harder. It, I, I kind of describe it sometimes to people like when they're trying to change pain without changing the influences on pain if they're just working on the side of an injury for example it's like trying to push a car backwards up a hill and you're trying to push the car back up the hill it's a lot heavier and if they turn the engine on you're screwed you know? yeah hard um so for me if we can work on things that influence it as well as a lot of the time working on the area that's painful we get a much better outcome yeah so like to sort of see if I'm on the right track with that. Would, could that be in terms of say, say you have knee pain. Um, is it likely that for some people that might be an issue that's actually stemming from say their hip or maybe their feet, but the site of the pain is actually the knee rather than what is actually going on really at the upstairs or downstairs joint? Yeah, I've seen that loads. Um, I mean, I guess it, it, it's it's there's no hard or fast rule to say it's going to be the knee or it's going to be the hip. Um, what you'll often see or often find um, are areas of that person's body that they're not really willing to accept force well or they're not really willing to put load through well. And as a consequence, something else is probably taking up a bit more of that load. Now, that could lead to a few things. It could lead it'll lead to deconditioning of the tissues in the area that doesn't want to take load and it'll lead to probably overload on the tissues that are taking the load and are happy to take the load but eventually we'll start ringing that alarm bell and saying look I'm, there's too much happening here I need a bit of help um, that's for me you could have the, the most important area for a person's body might not be the area that's symptomatic um, and I've seen that so often in clinic I see that probably every day um, I'm in clinic whereby let's say um like a client i had um recently who had bad whiplash and had hip pain and the limitation in the neck i don't know if this is going to go out via video too but the limitation in the neck so when he rotates the neck this way it was nearly full range rotates this way and it was about here really really limited going to one rotation and what it appeared like was that his whole system had set up to avoid loading and avoid movement that led to movement in his neck so when I treated the neck, which wasn't really symptomatic, it was just stuck. It wasn't really moving very well. I treated this part, the hip completely changed. 
So the hip was able to start producing force and moving more freely. And you'll often see sometimes that, I mean, it can be a previous injury. It might not also be previous injury. I mean, it's, it's not a hard or fast rule, as I said earlier. And very often those areas that we have forgotten about that used to be painful at one stage might be the thing that your system is still protecting. And as a result, something else is trying to work much harder. Um, think of it like, like an ischemic pain. So when you've got uh, a lack of blood flow through a set of tissues, let's say you've been on, you're on an airplane for 12 hours and you're sitting in one position and you're getting that little uncomfortableness, that stiffness, that little bit of ache and pain. Most often not, that's a lack of blood flow going through those tissues. When you move around a little bit, you get some more blood flow and that goes away. Imagine you've got a set of muscle groups who aren't able to let go because something else isn't happy to load. I think a lot of the time it's, it could be kind of understandable for that to start saying, hello, mate, I need a bit of help here. And for some symptoms to start um, happening there. And then again, you could have actual loading problems whereby there's overload on, the t- on a tendon, for example, and it's starting to create inflammatory responses and it all kind of starts to generate from there as well. So you could have pain because of inflammation in the knee joint. You could have pain because somebody's shoulder doesn't move properly and it's feeding down and the knee is the area that's taking the hammer. And so I think there's, there's no hard or fast rule, but I, I would definitely see uh, an ability or an option for both of those. And target. like that, like that as well, I suppose, um, when we're thinking about, and, and that's the thing that I've probably noticed maybe a little bit more recently is that there's, there's, you know, the, uh, the outside influences to, to what it is that's going on. And a lot of people don't. And I've, I've actually taken, David, your, a, a couple of your, as the man says, the way you, you, you draw things out and spend it. And it was something that I had, I had never done. It was something I'd never, ever done where I just, you know, it was at the very start. And, you know, you're, you're told when you're in college, and you're like, this is the way it's done. It's X, Y, and Z equals the result and off they go and if they come back you just x y and z and then off they go but actually sitting down and and talking to people and you know getting an idea as you, as we say like of their journey or of their story and you know you might start seeing things where you talk about their sleep and they talk about sleep and they go oh well you know it's x y and z lately and i've had very bad sleep and you know and then you might make a note of that and then suddenly they can see in front of them this sort of pattern that might might this cycle that's going on do you see do you see sleep as a as a maybe not like all the time but do you see it as a fairly major player absolutely um what you've what you've hit upon there is two things. One of them is another principle for me is to listen um, as much as I can. Um, I'm very blessed to be uh, married to a social worker who works with people um, who has a master's in therapeutic communication. So I've, I lean on <laughs> her experience um, and, yes. and I've read it enough and I've been around the therapy game enough to know that sometimes you know giving people a place to actually be heard is one of the most effective things that they can get. Um, but also, if you, when you're processing information, when you're trying to make sense of something yourself, sometimes you have to actually speak it out and hear it again yourself to actually make sense of what you're trying to make sense of. Um, and again, and this does come back to sleep. A lot of times people don't know that sleep, for example, has a big role to play with your, uh, what would I call it, your pain on, pain off system. So the quality of your sleep is really important. The three things that I see um, most commonly with people who have persistent or chronic pain or symptoms that go on for a long time or 
poor energy levels, poor sleep and poor digestion, and they all feed each other. So that basically means the gas tank is lower and less able to kind of fuel their day than, than it would be if they were sleeping well and stuff. So for me, sleep is a huge one. Um, if you are not sleeping well on a regular basis for whatever reason, and if you there is something that you haven't tried yet that you're thinking about trying to improve it, please do. It will definitely change your life for the better. Um, if you if you're looking for more information, read Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. I'm sure you guys have, have heard of it or, or have read it. Um, yes, the information is phenomenal. Um, and it sleep, well, sleep is you're basically plugging into the charger every night and wiping your brain clean and having a bit of a a reboot um and you don't get it you're gonna suffer probably down the line unfortunately because I, I i've read that i've read that book and i remember when i had got i had actually gotten it and uh one of my friends messaged me and she said did you did i see that you got why why we sleep and i was like yeah and she was like oh she was like i just just be prepared she was like that's gonna change everything and i was like what are you talking about and then i got into it and i was like uh oh, I was like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh oh, I was like, oh no, and it's like all the things that you're just there, and you know, you think about all the all nighters that you used to pull and all this stuff, and you're just like, Jesus, I was like, I thought this was all okay. Yeah, absolutely no, I, uh, it, it, I knew it was important. Um, I, when I had the at the height of my symptoms, whenever I was at worse with my back, my look, my hip my neck all that stuff i was probably getting about two to three hours sleep a night um maybe four some nights and i recently revisited when my daughter was born um <laughs> and, but i can definitely say to you that uh that lack of sleep is going to shift absolutely everything i mean i often say to clients and it's, it's part of the online course of built the 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 way you start your day is is really important so if you're starting with a a two out of 10 in terms of your energy and your mood and, and your, your alertness. Um, doesn't it make sense that your perception of what's going on, your, maybe your likelihood to be overwhelmed or overloaded is going to be so much more than if you're waking up at eight or nine out of 10 in terms of energy levels, you've had restful sleep, your whole system, the whole, I suppose you could keep it simple, the setting of your system. If you want to dial up the potential for threat or for sensitivity or for, um, problems probably don't sleep very well and that'll probably do it for you um it's 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 a i mean if some of you someone who's listened to this um and doesn't sleep very well is kind of saying ah crap i'm, I'm screwed then there are loads of things you can do too so i'm not just saying yes negative there you know yes yeah i i do laugh but well not laugh but i i find it funny when clients you know like have fitbits and stuff and they get freaked out by looking at their at their sleep and this the lack or the looking at the sleep like the total analysis of sleep on their fitbit which probably isn't accurate and they probably don't know what they're looking at it it's ironic that that causes them to become anxious about sleep like they wake up like i think it's nearly like a, another negative placebo thing they'll wake up and be like i only got two hours of deep sleep and then they feel tired even if they actually weren't tired at all. But um, I love that holistic view that you kind of take at things because I, and it kind of harps back to what you said at the start that, you know, it's not just the sight of the pain. It's, you have to look at the whole lifestyle 
in terms of you know the sleep could be affecting it or other the way other joints move it's not just that single tissue or that single point of the pain you kind of have to look at it you know as a as a whole body thing and as a whole lifestyle thing are there other any other aspects in people's lives that maybe they don't realize could be having an impact on pain but but you've seen you know tends to crop up quite a bit yeah um I suppose that there's one, there's a few, there are plenty actually. <laughs> um, the, the first one I would say is that it is quite a, you could almost call it a controversial topic. It is mindset. And why I'll say it's controversial is that if you are not, um, pre- well, not if you're not prepared, but a lot of people have been told by healthcare professionals, unfortunately, that pain is in their head and that it's, that leads them to think that people don't believe them or that they don't trust that they're telling them the truth or they're not feeling the pain they're feeling, etc. So I want to start by saying that mindset side of things is nothing to do with me not believing or someone not believing that pain is all in your head. How you think about pain, how you think about your body, how you think about your health can absolutely influence what you feel on a daily basis. Um, if, again, if someone has not really ever explored that, there's potential for that to be a goldmine for progress. Um, all of the beliefs, all of the labels and diagnosis, all of the narratives and stories that you've been told and you've built up through the years about your health, about your body, about what's happening inside you. Um, that is potentially the biggest frame of reference that your nervous system uses every day. So if that's fear inducing and worry inducing, then I think it makes a lot of sense that the mindset that you're bringing to the table, whether by choice or because it's been kind of conditioned into you, um, it's going to be an influence on symptoms. I think the other thing then is like to touch back on your Fitbit analogy there, that people don't know what normal is or what, what the, the kind of baseline should be. Um, so again, if you don't know that it's normal to have maybe two hours of REM sleep at night or deep sleep at night, um, then you might be going around stressed, worried, anxious, frustrated that you're, doing everything you can for sleep you're getting eight hours of sleep but you're only getting two hours of deep sleep but that could be normal it, we can go down that road with disc injuries you can go down that road with mris you can go down that road with so many different topics if normal isn't established as a baseline first then you, you're not really sure where you're at um, and you may be stressed worrying fearful unnecessary um from an unnecessary standpoint um, and again, for me, that's going back to scraping those weeds off that path, because if we can help you to see what normal is and help you to see where you're at and kind of get rid of the things that aren't necessary to worry about, then I think it helps. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely that. And then if you move on to other influences, the, the digestive system can be an influence. Um, you can have a lot of inflammatory stuff. You can have a lot of links to kind of brain fog and different bits and pieces like that that are making it harder for people's systems to, to manage. Um, I think one of the, the biggest things in the last 200 years that's changed is our environment. If you're watching this, I might go and click that off. That's the stuff I'm talking about. The light we live under, the, the environment we're living in, um, we didn't have, as cavemen anyway, we didn't have light bulbs. We didn't have that endless source of light. And light is a stimulus for your nervous system the same way that food is, the same way that um, hands-on treatment is um, but it's not something that people often consider 
Um, I mean, the LED bulbs that are in a lot of the kind of newer um, fixtures and fittings these days are basically, I think it's they're the same frequency of light as midday sun. So they're basically sending your brain a message saying that it's midday, no matter what time you have that light on it. So you can imagine, for example, the for your sleep, if we all know that melatonin, if we read, if we read why, why we sleep and we know that melatonin is one of the, the hormones that keeps you asleep when you get to sleep and that its release is really important for all the kind of immune system functions and, you know, to, to ward off, you know, problematic diseases and all that sort of stuff. But blue light that you get from a phone screen or from a, an LED bulb delays the release of melatonin. So blue light immediately will harm your sleep if you're on a date at night, especially after dark. So for me, that stuff is really, really important. And the other one um, would be that we're just not moving as much as we used to. You know, go back two generations um, when most of our grandparents or great-grandparents worked on farms and worked outside. We are nowhere near as fit and healthy probably as they were. We don't move as much. I mean, it takes me back to a client I worked with during the summer who is a 75, 70-year-old, sorry, farmer. And, you know, you could tell immediately when you saw him that he had a lifetime of work built into his body. He was 70 years of age and really, really strongly built. Um, you know, I would be, it would be quite interesting to be able to fast forward to when I'm 70 and see what I look like. And <laughs> he's got all this, this going to work out, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think, I think they're, they're big influences. We, we're a lot more sedentary than we used to be. We're not moving as much. Um, we, we live in a very different environment every day. The food's changed. There's so many different influences on this. It might not be a direct influence on pain per se, but it influences your quality of sleep. It influences your energy levels. It influences potentially your mindset, your psychology, and that stuff does influence pain. So it's an indirect, but for me, a powerful influence. So it's something that I, I talk to people about, um, especially if they come in with that poor digestion, poor energy levels and poor sleep. If we can get those things starting to uh, to change around, that person's not fighting a massive uphill battle in terms of and, and like you were saying there as well, you know, which is the, the those two things like this. I suppose it's that thing again, isn't it? It's the story we tell ourselves or that inner monologue that's going on all the time, where you know, and 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 like that. Sometimes I've noticed that when, when people come in, they, they don't actually realise that that is going on in the background, that this, this, this little, this little conversation is going on in the background all the time. And like that, sometimes even discovering that that is going on can be such a breakthrough, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting again, because you, you think about that situation happening and you haven't done anything. No manual therapy has happened. No movement has happened. No, nothing has happened. You've just made a breakthrough in maybe as we, as we were saying there, the, the person's inner story, what they're telling themselves has now changed or they've realized that they've, they've been telling themselves something all the, all along through the last couple of years or whatever it might be. And I think, so and that was the thing. I remember when I heard it first, I, 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 I was like, what, what the hell is that? And I was like trying to figure it out was the, the biopsychosocial side of, of pain. And, and I got, um, uh, explain pain book. And I thought by Lorimer Mosley, I think the other guy is, is it David Butler? I think is the other guy's name, but I just read that and I was like, Oh my God. And it, it, all of these things was just going on, but, but like that. So, if somebody came in and 
when they're talking about that. So if you were, if somebody came in, and they asked you, David, about the biopsychosocial side of pain. I suppose it's it's basically everything we've just been covering, isn't it? It's the all the different aspects that can be involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, if somebody came in and asked me about that, I think we're off to a good start. <laughs> Ninety-nine percent of people have never heard of it. Um, yes, but but yes, I, I totally agree. For me, it's 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 looking at a, the way I see the biopsychosocial model is just to look at a person as a human being and look at everything that potentially can influence them. Um, and again, everyone's so different, so that leads into so many things like we're talking about. So, um, the more that we can understand what influences a person positively or negatively, the more that we could, you know, see where that might lead to. Uh, stressors that might lead to anxiety that might lead to fear that might lead to all of these potential feelings or influences that might set the scene for how your nervous system processes things in a different context or different environment that for me is important um anything we can do to decrease that stuff and to to avoid all those fight or flight responses kicking off all those kind of um fear responses particularly um then you know, we're probably going to help that person either with their symptoms from a, a physical perspective or also with how they manage through life from a, a kind of just a life perspective, I suppose. And like, I suppose with that, then you're, it's that thing again. It's And, and I, I this is sticking out in my head because it was just something you said at the very start when you were talking about, you know, I often look at it like it's kind of the old way of doing things. I like to think that that I would hope that that's nearly done of this, just handing out a sheet, you know, and and just do this, you know. But I suppose it's so it's it's more than that now. It's it's given somebody the tools that when they leave, that okay, yes, maybe maybe some manual therapy was done, and maybe an exercise program was given, but more so that now they have the tools going forward throughout the rest of their life to understand what's going on and maybe understand, okay, well, I'll, I, I'll know the signs if I see them. Maybe I had a, a couple of nights bad sleep. Okay, I've gotten that little bit of, you know, a niggle or a pain there. And it's so much more now than, than it used to be, which was just maybe, ah, there's a bit of manual therapy. There's your exercise sheet. Good luck, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, that speaks back to awareness. If there are if there's no awareness of an influence, there's no ability to start influencing the influence um, or to become the influencer of the influence. Um, so definitely there, there's that awareness piece that's needed and that, that sometimes takes a long time. Sometimes takes ages. I would sometimes get an email from a client who I mightn't seen, I've seen for three or four years and they say, ah, I finally get that thing we were talking about in that session, which is like brilliant. You know, wherever or however you're, you arrive to that place if that's what's right for you then as long as you get there that's all that matters is really the end of the day. um but yeah there, there's definitely a, a a big awareness piece to the journey i think I, and i said it to a client actually yesterday i think it was um the the journey in overcoming symptoms often needs a massive amount of self-awareness and you cannot get that just sitting here you probably do need to kind of have that have some of the stuff that you say reflected back to you you probably do need to have new information coming in to uh, to kind of give you the space to get a bit of perspective on how what you think about something um and that's that's as, as much of the journey for me um helping a person or, or again seeing where they're at figuring out what that person might need if i if that's 
possible and um you know pointing them in the in that direction to, to give them the stuff they need and then it's about i suppose helping them to create habits and strategies that are are there for the long term so again if you start to to think differently about about your back for example um one of the most common areas i'm sure that we all see um it'll be all good in that moment to know yes i have to change how i think about this this is great but what's really really often an eye-opener for people is whenever they they leave and they've got this new awareness of how often it shows up in their day how much their behavior has changed because of minding their back or um, avoiding this problem with their their knee or whatever it might be how often that has actually changed what they do and they've actually got these little pieces of awareness that drop in all the time um, and that that is the process that's part of the actual journey of overcoming something um yeah. i mean for me if i said to you you did uh you pulled a calf pulled your calf when you were sprinting when you're hurdling sorry if you do every single piece of rehab except hurdle again i don't think it's complete do you know so it, it's about it's about kind of um sometimes especially with longer term pain it's about helping the person to see how that's how that problem has shifted their behavior and then maybe getting them to go back and revisit all those things that have changed and start to, to kind of counteract them a bit and the way I would kind of explain that is to kind of give your brain evidence that you no longer need protection in that movement or activity or context. Yeah, and that's something I actually was going to ask was, is some part of the treatment process that you use, does it involve putting people into positions and letting them feel that position and feel that that position is safe? Um, it can. It absolutely can. Um, I guess if the person has a very, very big fear about that position, um, classic one would be someone who's had uh, an ACL injury and just does not want to let that knee go back into the position of an ACL injury. I'm not going to just whack them in there and say, right, hang out there for 20 minutes and I'm going to go and have a cup of coffee or something. I'm not going to do something like that obviously exaggerated by the way um, um i'm going to i'm going to gently reintroduce that and i'm going to i'm going to use that kind of frame that i just put around the last piece and say look at i think your rehab is incomplete until we get you comfortable in this place and able to manage the load and able to manage the forces and yes i think it's normal and this goes for the whole pain experience the whole journey of overcoming pain i think it's normal for your system to almost um have a reaction at times to some of the positions we, that you get put into some of the exercises or tasks that you do because of the previous experiences because those reference points those negative reference points have been set so strongly but if we don't go there on the on the other side of that if we don't go there we never give your brain a chance to reappraise and to see that this is actually safe or this isn't as threatening as it was so i think it's kind of like that dance between both of them if we can get that right um you know we can do wonders for a person um if you decrease the the fear that there or the, the the need for protection in a certain position you can open up so many options for a person um one of the one of the analogies that i use with people in the clinic is about the the 20 roads from here to home um if you have 20 roads from your house to your clinic for example from your house to your gym or whatever that you could take to get there and only 15 of them sorry 15 of them are closed and only five of them are available if you're driving down the same five roads and everybody's driving down the same five roads you've got all the traffic all the roadworks all the accidents all that stuff on those five roads all the time 
in your body that might look like always loading the same tissue groups all the time and always maybe starting to overload them and starting to feel some symptoms. And if we can just open up a few of those positions again and give some of those 15 roads back, we have a much happier, more robust system, much more movement variability. So absolutely, you know, it might be putting them into a position. Um, often I'll use that whenever I've built a little bit of trust with them. And they know that there's attention to detail going in here, if you know what I mean. I'm not just whacking you into that and saying, right, let's just go. That's, this is what you need to do. Let's get there now. Um, build them up to it. And so something that... I, I, I'm, I'm kind of nearly saying it nearly every day in one aspect or another is this question that keeps popping up. And, you know, clients actually are asking the question more now as well. And, and, and which is great because people are being, they're not just kind of, as I just say, kind of just feel like they can't ask questions or that they, you know, like that they, they shouldn't ask questions or that, you know, the, the, the therapist is all knowing and, you know, whatever, but, where do you stand on like on on manual therapy so like soft tissue release trigger point therapy where do you stand on that front when like as in all of the research kind of seems to be in and out of different things and people are like what are we what's actually happening when we when we do that when we do a functional release or or a trigger point therapy release on on a hamstring or a calf what's actually happening to the system? Where do you stand on, on that? Or what are your thoughts on manual therapy? Um, traditional manual therapy, the release stuff, the massage stuff, manipulation, I've stopped doing probably for the last six or seven years. Um, I use a technique called PDTR. Um, it's a, neuro, a neurological technique and I use it as part of the tools in the toolbox. Um, for me, manual therapy on its own, without any narrative or anything applied to it, is going to be a series of inputs to your tissues that your tissues register and send further up for processing either to the spinal cord or further up. So it's going to be input to your tissues that sometimes your system is going to choose to do something differently with. So the response that you might get from that input might be to change the muscle tone, might be to give you some sort of pain relieving effect, might be to switch that pain on circuit off for a while or for a long term, it could be really successful. Um, when you add in narrative, then you're starting to color it a bit. You're starting to tell people what this is doing and how this is working. And if, again, like we touched on earlier, I think James said, if, if that, that is a nocebic or a, a fear or threat or worry inducing way of explaining things, then it's probably likely that you're creating dependence on that, that narrative. So a classic example would be the, the joint that goes out of place um, and you get put back in. If that's how something has been explained to you, that's fine. That might be just how that therapist has been educated. I don't think there's any ill intent in, in that. Um, I don't think uh, there's too many therapists out there that are out there to hurt people or to create those business models. Hopefully not. Um, hopefully not. Um, again, what that might do is put a box around your experience and say to you that every time you feel pain in that area now, you automatically assume because of that narrative that you're out of alignment, you're out of place. So now you go back for the thing you know that takes you out of that out of place, place, <laughs> and um, you get manipulated and hopefully it feels better. What happens then if that stops working? You know, yes. the now it creates more fear, more worry for that person, and then they're, they're on to the next thing. And, and that can sometimes be really frustrating for a client who's gone through all these different types of treatments and they arrive maybe at my door and I'll, I'll take the time with them and I'll explain things to them and I'll say, for me, I don't think any of that happens. 
So then we have to do a lot of rewiring of what once was believed to be true, potentially. Um, but to come back to the, to the question about the, the manual therapy, I think if, if it's used well, it can be a really nice um, means to create some safety. Um, and I think that has to be backed up with experience, experiential safety, if you want to call it. So that person's system has a chance to put that in context with the rest of its movement with you know different tasks or whatever. Um, so for me, I use it. I use it. Hmm. If I would I give it a percentage, there's been times when it, it earlier on in my career when it's been like 100 <laughs> percent, yeah, and yes. when it's been zero, when it was literally just movement work. Um, it's probably up at around 25 to 40 percent of what I do, and I'll usually do it like this. I'll usually you probably saw the the video I did on my Instagram the other day about the principles, so the desensitization of tissues that need to kind yeah. of in my experience need to be desensitized maybe an old injury that's not happy to take load or whatever then to move things get things moving and get your brain used to the input from those tissues and hopefully give that a new um what would i say like a, to, to give your brain a chance to perceive that in a different way so it's not going to be threatening anymore hopefully in a non-threatening way that's kind of what i was trying to get out there and um, to load those tissues up then and help them to coordinate with the rest of your body and then to start going, once you're there and your system is happy to do that and you're not experiencing any adverse responses, then to start really loading towards whatever the goals are, the task specific or the sports specific stuff. So it's a tool. Um, and I think I have my preferred way of working with manual therapy. Um, and if there's any therapist working out there or listening to this out there, I, I suppose for me, the end goal, no matter what the manual therapy is, is to do no harm and to get the person to where they want to go. So if I can do that in a way that doesn't install these fear-inducing narratives um, and gets me the window of opportunity I need to start moving that person forwards, then I don't really care what a person uses as long as their intention's right, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, because I know... I Sorry, James, go on. Oh, go on, go on. Pardon. No, I was just going to say that what I found really like useful for the manual therapy side of things is, 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 is I suppose like that again, it's like you've sat down with the person first and, and you're listening and you're, you're I suppose, and, uh, well, sometimes when I'm writing stuff down, you're almost writing down their journey, their story so far, and you're piecing it together and you're kind of deciding then, well, is this person going to, you know, is this person going to respond well to manual therapy or do we need to go about it a different way? Because as you were saying there, maybe they've had a lot of that before. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're like, ah, you know, and they, they maybe have a, maybe have had a bad experience of it or they felt like they've gotten so much of it and it's done nothing. But, but for me, I've definitely found benefits in using it, as you said, exactly that as a tool where maybe to decrease muscle tone or, or maybe desensitize an area a bit and then go about safely or giving a bit of safety to load the tissue or load the area then. And what I often find is funny is that people often say then, Jesus, you know, I can't believe it. You know, I can't believe I'm able to load that tissue now or whatever it might be. But you're always, I'm always trying to get that point across is that like, you're like, you know, it's, it's how, how we're thinking and how we start loading or as you do call it, or as you were saying the other day, that kind of reconditioning of, yep. of, of the tissues. So that that's going to be the long-term, you know, that's what's going to serve us, but that not coming back for this manual therapy 
every yeah. two weeks because I always say to people, and I always say, I don't mean to be rude, but you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have you coming in every week. I don't want to see you every week, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, as a rule of thumb, and there's a reason for this, I don't see people more than once every two weeks. And that's just because I want to give their system time to process change. I want to give their system, I want to give them then time to get feedback from me. And, you know, I, I worked, I've been fortunate enough to, to teach for some of the manual therapy techniques and I've been all over the world teaching and doing stuff and I've had clinics in multiple countries and stuff like that. And it might be two months before I get to see somebody. So I want to use the manual therapy as a little tool, as a tool that's going to help. Um, and I want to give them stuff that they can use themselves. And I mean, there's been, been quite a few times when people have gone away saying, Jesus, you've got magic hands. I said, absolutely not. You've got a magic nervous system. <laughs> I ever tell you, you know? Um, Exclude the tango. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? But I, I suppose what kind of, the, and I would obviously look at it more from a sports performance side of things, but surely the goal of those, you know, techniques is to not need them anymore. Whereas yeah. I think you can, like I would always, like I love when I'm in the gym and I look at say a footballer comes into the gym and he spends 40 minutes rolling about in a foam roller and then does 20 minutes of a workout. You know, it's like, it's, it's like he thinks that he needs that foam rolling to feel, you know, to maybe it's a cranky hip or a glute or whatever. It's as if he needs that foam rolling to make him feel the way he should. Whereas the goal should be that, you shouldn't need it after a certain period of time. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, for me, if we do our, our work well, um, I think that I think I've I've come a, a long way with this, and I think I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion that we need to change how your nervous system processes its experience of itself. That might sound like a what. <laughs> um, let me put it this way. If you are moving in such a way that your system is perceiving your foot flattening as being a real problem, now that could be again back to the stories and the stuff you've been told, or maybe there's 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 sensitized tissues there. Um, there are bottom-up influences from the foot up to the system, and there are massive potential for influences from the system bringing down into the body, those top-down influences. And I think if we get those right, we can give that person's nervous system a real chance to re-experience its foot or its knee or its hip or its back or whatever it is um, in a non-threatening way. And we start shifting. And for me, if we can get this to happen, we can shift input from uh, or away from the threat processing centers to other centers, get away from the threat side of it and get towards safety. Simple, a really simple kind of way to, to look at it. The more we do that and the more likely that, the more times we repeat that for that person, the better i mean the idea for me is always to do my best to influence their that person's nervous system on the unconscious level so that if something shifts there that it stays shifted there and they can continually have that new reference point out in the world so you might have had back pain whenever you bend forwards and do the dishes or when you bend forwards and, and um, do some movement or lift your child or whatever it might be and let's say part of that is because you're you've had back surgery there's sensitivity in the tissues and you're very afraid of what's going to happen if you bend forwards and twist and all that sort of stuff. So there's a few issues there. We could work on some sensitivity in your lower back or in your, in your body, help you to load that creates safety. 
And we can then also work on the narrative and the story that also creates safety. So now when you go back to that context of bending and lifting something up or doing sweeping or, or lifting your child, whatever it is, your system has the chance to have a really different experience then than it did before. And the more you repeat that, the more you provide evidence of safety for your nervous system that you don't have to have the big protective responses. The more we can get that to happen in all the different contexts that your system has associated worry or fear or threat or doubt or, or potential for harm with, you know, related to your back, the more we can get that to happen, the more likely it is that you're going to overcome pain on, on the long term. I think, yeah, no, 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 makes makes total sense. I think that that's the thing as well. I, I, I sometimes think that, you know, just thinking about a couple of the things that we've gone through and, and everything is that I, I've been kind of thinking a lot lately because the way everything is now, it's it, everything is immediate now. We get everything immediately or nearly almost immediately. And I definitely think there's there's that kind of, we almost have that need for the kind of quick fix that that kind of, you know, ah, you know, I had two sessions, but you know, like I only made it, I only made a small little bit of a bit of, you know, like, and, and people want that sort of moment where they come in one time and they get seen and they're like, that's it. I'm done. He just, he found that three or four or she found those three or four exercises, those, those magical exercises and I'm done. I'm cured. That's it. You know? And I, I just find that sometimes is, is it can be a, a hard thing. Like, like, as you were saying there, you've had people three or four years later yep. have, have that moment where they go, ah, oh, that eureka moment where they yep. go, I get that now. I know what we were talking about now. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I, I've seen, been fortunate enough to, to have worked with loads of people. And sometimes there are clients and they are needle in the haystack moments um, where you do a certain piece of input with your words or with your education or with your hands-on work and it goes bam. And their whole system just completely responds differently. You can never predict how that how that's going to happen or when that's going to happen, and it's lovely. It is really really nice to see. Um, it comes with a with um, a caveat though. Yes, he goes forward and tells everybody about you know I saw that person once or something. <laughs> that's it. I've sorted. I've haven't had pain in two years. <laughs> yeah, lovely. It's amazing, you know. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have you know built up a reputation over time of being able to help people and, and whatnot and. Um, you know, there are some clients who come in and are, are expecting that really high level of, of change in a, in a short period of time and you do your best. Um, if, if it happens, it happens. Um, but I, I would definitely say that, you know, a lot of people, um, I suppose if you've ever read Atomic Habits by James Clear, he sums it up really, really nicely when he talks yeah. about the period of latent potential with the ice cubes, the melting ice cubes. Yes. Some people will give up on approaches that aren't bearing fruit immediately and what they're closing the door on there is a massive window of opportunity that they just can't see or haven't seen yet um and again the, there's also the, the kind of side to it to look at and say if something's not working when do you pull the pin on it that's fair enough um but if there's if there's a way for us to create safety in your system that's worked for a lot of people um you know giving it a fair shot i think is is worth it um you know, especially if let's say I give you an exercise and you've, I've, I said to you, right, it's probably going to take you two or three months of working away at this to get really super strong through these tissues, for example. 
um, if you do it for two weeks and you don't really feel anything happening and you haven't given your tissues the time to kind of condition and recondition and get stronger and whatnot, then, you know, you're probably pulling the pin a little early and you're, you're not getting the benefits that might be waiting for you. There's, there's definitely a conversation around that. And that can be a tough one to manage from the mindset side, especially whenever we are used to instant gratification, you know? Definitely. There's it, like, there's, there's so much there. And I think that that's, that's definitely, um, that's definitely a hard one. You know, that, that what you were saying there about the two weeks and you're, you're, you're trying to work out. And as you said, not pulling the pin too early that you're like, well, do we need to spend a little bit more time here or that? And that can be hard. That can be very hard to work out. I know myself anyways, and I, I, I've only been like, I graduated in 2014 and I would probably say weirdly, I would never would have thought this, but I would, I would say in the last year or so, of, of and that's like in a pandemic as well I mean the last year or so I've probably learned more just because I've had a little bit more I suppose time and you're going to read more and you're going to just ask questions and I definitely think that's the thing isn't it always always ask questions you know say why does this work I want to find out why this works you know I think yeah. a lot of people see things and they're like oh I'm going to do that but you know, you're like, but why is it working? And to ask that question, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I used to say when I was teaching, um, when I'd start a class, I'd always say to them, um, and even in, for the members that I have on my online program, I'd always say to them, if, uh, if you have a question, please ask it, because let's say if we're all sitting in a room together and you have a question, you can guarantee that somebody else is thinking about it too and would benefit from hearing the answer. So never i never be afraid to ask questions i used to be that shy person that sat in the back of a class and didn't say anything and just took it in and, and did what i did with it and definitely over the years I've, I've learned to kind of put myself up there and say hello what's this about why is this happening can you explain that to me help me to get that in a way that's simple um so that i can then bring that forward for people if they need to you know definitely an important part I, I have one more question and I'm going to put it out there first just to see because it's a question that you could maybe go on for days with. So I'm going to ask it and if I know I'm conscious of your time, but um, yeah. posture. Yeah. And like you to hear, you know, everyone talking about all oh, bad posture and, and all the rest. But like when you look at, say, like it, it's dependent on the person, obviously. So you look at, say, like Usain Bolt. You could look at him and say he doesn't have a great posture because he's quite interior pelvic tilted. But that is because of the task he's trying to undertake. You know, for sprinters, they want to be a bit like that because it, you know, transfers over to the sport. Is posture only a problem when it becomes a problem, if that makes sense? Question. Um I think yes and no. I think probably more yes for me than no. Um, I think posture is a snapshot of a moment in time. It's a position your body rests and it probably changes all the time subtly without you realizing it. Um, I think whenever you talk about, for example, you say both have been stuck in an anterior tilt. Um, if you translate that to somebody who's not you know, trying to become a, a world-class sprinter or whatever, it's a movement question that rather than a question about posture now the problem i think with posture is that so many people have it drummed into them that posture 
is a problem or is a problem or can be a problem. Those analogies of the head being a bowling ball and, you know, every inch it goes forward, it adds an extra whatever amount of pounds or, you know, you have to sit the right way, you have to move the right way. All this stuff built by ergonomics industries and um, built by probably research that's 30 or 40 or 50 years out of date that's still in the public consciousness um, or those messages are still in the public consciousness. I think that's a big problem. Um, and I think, you know, for me, if I would trust a person's nervous system's wisdom much more than I would trust a narrative about posture. For example, when I'm talking to people, when I'm one-on-one with them, I will usually, I have a little low chair and like, I don't know why, because I'm six foot three, but I have a little low chair and I'll usually slump way down and I'll lie and cross my legs and I'll, I'll chat to them about a posture that way. And I'll probably give away a little kind of, tip or thing that I do here I give them a completely unconscious message that I don't care about posture because again if I can detract or take away the the negative connotation of a posture for that person then anytime they go forwards and they have what you would call poor posture they're not having threat processing associated with they're not having um, fight or flight responses associated and that's going to influence how they feel so for me your posture is not a problem really um I do think there's an element over a very long, long time scale that if you're always moving the same way, you're going to get more of that and you're going to lose some movement. So I think there is a question there that, um, you know, maybe people have to answer for themselves about getting a bit of more variability in their movement. Um, but I think, you know, what's normal posture? It is different for every person. There's so many shapes and sizes and positions that people like to hang out on. And if it's comfortable for you, I don't feel it's right for somebody to come and inject a problem into that. Um, I really don't like that. And I'm, I'm, I probably get quite passionate and strong about what I say whenever I see that, because I'm like, you know, what would that person feel like if you hadn't done that? If you hadn't yes. that stuff, they would yeah. probably be a lot happier and be oblivious to the fact that their posture is, is um, X, Y, or Z, you know, they yeah. just want living, you know? I think the thing as well, you know, we we see now as well. I actually put a post up the other day about just just like what we were talking about when you you kind of uh, touched on there early about movement variability, you know, and and just being able and having that uh, ability to get in and out of of different shapes and and different yeah. postures and everything. And I think like you know sometimes you see, especially maybe for me, and it was with some intercounty level players and that they they spend so much time because they're gymming so much, you know, and they spend an awful lot of time in the gym. You, you, you just kind of sometimes tend to see that, that they're spending an awful lot of time in these lifting postures or, or, or that kind of whatever way, maybe they've been kind of cued to lift or squat or whatever it be. And they not always, but you do often see then things start to crop up. This, this thing starts to crop up lower back, you know, upper thoracic is tight and stuff. And generally then when, when you come in and, and you look at maybe trying to get a little bit of movement variability, they find it very hard yeah. to actually get out of what they're normally in, maybe like 80 or 90% of the time. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's a question again about that tissue. We've talked, Dan touched on this a wee bit in terms of like the, some tissues that take more load and tissues won't. And over time, there's tissues that don't they get less able to take it. There's a reconditioning element, so they're going to struggle for sure in that space. Um, 
And again, we've kind of touched on that kind of longer time span. If you're spending a significant part of your time in a certain position, you're going to get better being in that position. So that variability is important. I mean, for me, um, I've, I've taken a lot of different theory around movement, a lot of um, approaches. And the one that I love is the anatomy of motion one. I think it's fantastic. The, the, the job they do is, is brilliant. Um, for me, my, my baseline for someone is that they can access all the major joint movements at the pelvis, ribcage, skull, shoulders, hips, knees, ankles. If they can access that, but they should left and right, then we've got a pretty solid platform to start working off. Um, and then it's about finding those little areas that they maybe can't load as well and starting to get to work on them. Um, but definitely movement variability is such an important thing. As I said earlier, we don't move as much as we used to. Um, and we probably don't move in a varied way at all you know even going back to the conversation around the gym you lift in that kind of sagittal plane there's very little rotation there's very little kind of side to side movement and if you're lucky enough to get that in your sport then happy days and um, but again if you're what you're doing in your sport is maybe 20 percent of your training compared to 80 percent of your strength and conditioning for example it's probably not that high but if, if it's that then you know you may be losing some movement variability over time and that's that's probably going to lead to overload in certain tissues and maybe towards some injuries down the line. Um, I definitely think there's a there's a call, uh, uh, a call for being prepared to load in many, many positions. Um, if you're unprepared to be or in, ill-prepared to load in certain positions, you possibly are more risk of an injury if, if you're not prepared there, you know. I mean, we've covered, we've covered so much stuff there. I mean, I actually somehow managed to nearly ask every question that I had, that I had on my sheet. And that was a lot. But like the so the amount of information there is pretty staggered, like that we've kind of covered and gone through. Um, where can, David, can we, where can anybody find you um, to get in, get in touch um, or want to make an appointment with you or what's your Instagram handle? Yeah, cool. So um, my Instagram is at pain and movement specialist. Um, my Facebook page is David McGettigan, pain and movement specialist. My website is www.davidmcgettiganclinic.com. You can go there to get more information, if plenty of honest, and you can go there for to schedule appointments um, or to look at the online uh, program that I have, which is a kind of a guided um, to program built basically on everything we've talked about today to, to help a person to uh, make sense of what's happening for themselves and to, to, to change around some of the meaning that might be needed about what's happening in their body and about the symptoms they're experiencing and then to give them a kind of process to work through to kind of improve their movement, get stronger, recondition, build better habits, etc. all that stuff. So all on there um, somewhere. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, well, definitely check check David out because, as I said, it's it's just a, a treasure trove of knowledge about where you can go and maybe what you can do and look look down avenues that you have and look down to if you're struggling or you have pain or you have chronic pain. So, absolutely, definitely check out those places. So, that's it. We're 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 done for episode four. Um, James, you're you're happy enough to? I'm happy enough. That was great. Thanks a million for that, David. Uh, no, thank you, lads. Um, pleasure to be on. Pleasure to, to, to connect us and have a good chat. It's a good crack. Super. So, as always, um, you can like, share, and leave a review. Um, and you can follow myself and James on Instagram as well. James, what's your Instagram handle? I don't have James. it off the top of my head. 
James underscore fit underscore McDowell. And I'm S-I-S Aira, so that's S-I-S-E-I-R-E. Thanks a million, David. Good morning, Malcolm, lads. Thanks Thank so you. much. Thank you. James, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah.